Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Uh, 1 Samuel 23 is the text tonight. 1 Samuel 23. Tonight as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. And before we go any further, let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for all the precious saints that are here tonight. Thank you for those who are visiting with us tonight. May they feel at home. May they feel welcome. Thank you that we are welcome in your presence to worship you, to experience your goodness, your glory your comfort, hope, truth, and healing. And I pray that those who may have somebody on their heart tonight, I pray that um, as the Word of God goes forth, we know it's already filled with your power, so we just pray that your power would be received by us and we would be hearing what you say and acting upon it. And maybe for some of us tonight, some of these things are just going to be resting additionally in your goodness and your promises to us. So we lay everything at your feet, pray that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Samuel 23. Remember that David has become uh, a prefigurement of Christ. He, David is the anointed one. He's already been anointed by Samuel the prophet, whose book we are studying. Yet David has not taken the throne officially. He is God's king, but he is on the run. He's on the run. In fact, he is the focal point of a nationwide search by a crazed king named Saul who just can't get over himself. He cannot get over his jealousy. He cannot get over his hatred. We know he's been influenced by an evil spirit. And he just cannot go on without David being dead. And David is the anointed one. And David now prefigures Christ in this sense. And there's many others that we could talk about. But David has nowhere to lay his head. And remember what Jesus said to some of those who would follow him, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to even lay his head. He who formed the earth and everything in it couldn't even find a place to rest. And David is on the run from Saul, and David is about to get news that the Philistines are attacking a critical town or city And even with the pressure of Saul's uh, desire to kill him and take him out, he now has to seek the Lord to see if he's supposed to fight yet another battle. And it made me think of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the anointed one. He's the greater David. He's the one who will ultimately sit on the throne. And yet when he was here, he was under constant pressure. He knew he was going to go to the cross and face the ultimate twin enemies of sin and death. He was dealing with the attacks of Satan And yet he had all this stuff coming at him as well, all these pressures. And David, in that way, prefigures Christ as well. So it says then, this is 1 Samuel 23, 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kelah and are plundering the threshing floors. Now, less than three miles south of the cave of Adullam uh, was the fortified city of Kelah. We know that we've last seen David in the forest of Hereth, And he's been running from place to place. And now he's gotten word that the Philistines are attacking this critical place. And they are specifically, look at verse 1, the end of the verse, plundering the threshing floor. So it would lead us to believe that we're maybe at the end of summer, we're near the the wheat or barley harvest. And it's critical that the wheat is threshed and, you know, the, the grain is gathered in. 
And this may be an idea of things have been processed now and the Philistines are going to go and raid the food supply. And whenever you wanted to really uh, deal a death blow to an ancient city, you try to cut off water or food supplies. And that seems to be what's implied here. So David inquired of the Lord, verse 2, 1 Samuel 23, and he said, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Gelah. And it is beautiful that David does pray and he seeks the Lord. We do not know the method by which David sought the Lord. We know earlier that the prophet Gad got word to David that he was to move on from a stronghold. And so sometimes a word came through a prophet, but we don't know how it comes specifically here. But this is the first time that we have seen direct communication between the Lord and David. Specifically, it says the Lord spoke to him. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said to David. So I don't know how that happened. I don't know if that's a specific you know, uh, audible voice or internal uh, sense that David has, but the Lord spoke to him. The greater import here is that David sought God before he decided to go and fight this battle. And here's something, an application point that just came to mind for me. We've got to seek the Lord to know which battles we're supposed to fight. Not every battle is yours to fight. Not every ministry is yours to serve in. You've got to know which battles to fight. You've got to know what hills to die on in life. And the best way to find out about that is to seek the Lord. When you're confronted with a situation and you don't know what to do, you don't have to be the person that rescues everybody. I can tell you this as a pastor, I feel that pressure all the time. I feel the pressure to be there for everybody. But I just know that I can't. I'm a man. I, I, you know, I can only do so much. And that's where the body of Christ comes in, right? And my job is actually very clear in Scripture. I'm supposed to equip you to do the works of ministry. So the idea sometimes comes, you know, it's a... Maybe it's an idea that we've gotten wrong, but the pastor is supposed to do everything. But maybe you feel that way in your own life. You know, maybe you feel like I've got to be there. And you've got to know, you know, we talked about Sunday, you've got to know when the time is that you need to rest and when the time is to move. And that's not always easy in life. You know, sometimes we pray about things and we don't hear as clearly as we'd like to. So David heard from the Lord, and David's men, though, weren't as excited about his revelation. <laughs> David's men, and remember, these guys were not terribly impressive. This is the, the group that came to him in the cave. And if you go back to 22.2, you'll see who they were. 22.2 says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, to David. And he became captain over them. There was about 400 men with him, and this will uh, now increase to 600, but this is the motley crew that's with David, right? So David says, hey, I got a revelation. We're supposed to go fight the Philistines. And the guy's like, oh, what? I don't think so. Uh, that's not revelation I've gotten lately. And the men said to him, 3, 23, 3, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. We've been on the run. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the ranks of the Philistines? Look, we're afraid of Saul's men, Saul's army. And now you want us to do what? You want us to go fight another battle? So David did something that may be encouraging to a lot of us. David inquired of the Lord once more. He did one of those, you know, have you ever been there? 
Maybe you've gotten this new passion for ministry and you go to your family and you say, all right, here's what we're doing now. Devotions every night, 6, 4 a.m. Forget about 6 a.m. And they go, no, didn't get that revelation. God's got my phone number. Sorry. So you go back and inquire of the Lord. This is encouraging, isn't it? You know, Lord, did I hear that right? Because the people around me are not as excited about this revelation. So David inquired of the Lord once more. And this is just encouragement for you that going back and double checking is okay. I think the Lord is gracious enough to say, hey, if you're trying to double check, if my will, if you got my will right, there's nothing wrong with that. So he inquired of the Lord once more. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. That's pretty clear. So uh, we just basically see that they went on. So David and his men went to Keilah. Whenever you see a promise like this in the Bible, I think one of the keys to maybe holding on to the promises of God, when you get a mission from God that seems bigger than yourself, you'll see promises over and over again where God will tell somebody, I want you to do this, and here's the key to the promise. I am with you. Go and make disciples of all nations. All right, that seems pretty overwhelming to a group of disciples that were not terribly impressive. Go into all the nations. Make, make, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's a pretty sizable, a great commission, isn't it? And lo, I am, what? With you always, even to the end of the age. You see, whenever you are told to go fight your Philistines, that's what you need to know. If God has told you to do something, he's going to be with you. He's going to give you the power that you need. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. In essence, David was doing Saul's job because Saul was supposed to do this, but David was the one that took up the fight. And if David had had great success against the Philistines and he fought the battle, the Lord confirmed this is the right battle to fight and the Lord was with him and they struck the Philistines and they got some extra frosting on the cake. They got to take booty. They got to take the livestock that belonged to the Philistines. So after they took them out, they got some additional goods. And what the Philistines meant for evil, God turned around and added to David's uh, well-being, if you will. And uh, it is probably the case that the livestock was there to do further damage to, to Israelite territory. By taking livestock there, they would eat from the fields, they might destroy other stuff. So it's possible that there were bad intentions here, even in the bringing of the livestock. And now they're defeated they, they're able to take this as their own possession and carry it off. And now it came about, verse 6, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. This ephod seems to be, by the way, the ephod that belonged to the high priest. And what would make that unique is the ephod that belonged to the high priest held within it the Urim and the Thummim which is mentioned in Exodus 28, and it's kind of a mysterious thing. We've looked at it a little bit on a previous Wednesday night study, 
And it had within it the 12 gemstones of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know that it has some sort of meaning of lights. And so some conjecture about how it worked is when there was a question as to what should I do, Lord? A question of direction or insight. Should I do this? Should we fight this battle? An inquiry could be made to the high priest standing as the one who would mediate between God and man. And there was supposed to be, at least this is what some of the tradition holds and some of the language could mean, a lighting of the gemstones in some way. You think of the idea of getting illumination when you had a question. And that seems to be the purpose of the Urim and the Thummim. And so I think this is why it had great value. We do know that Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled because Saul had done this dastardly deed. Uh, go back to chapter 22 for a second. Let's just look at verse 20, just to remind us of what happened. Chapter 22, 20 says, But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests. You remember there were 85 priests of Nob that were killed of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you are safe with me. This is how this relationship began. Eighty-five priests, Saul had them killed. Their, their blood was on Saul's hands. And this young man had gotten away and he had taken the uh, ephod, apparently of the high priest, and he had it in his possession. And when it was told uh, Saul, go back to 23, 23.7. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, look at how deranged Saul is. God has delivered him into my hand. What are you talking about, Saul? You don't serve God. The blood of 85 priests of the Lord is on your hands. And you think that God has now put the anointed one into your sights? I don't think so. You've got it all wrong. You know, there are some people in this world that somehow, in their twisted thinking, think that God has done something for them, and they are just, i got to say it, they're just wackadoo. <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? God did that for you. That's not God's will. Hello? But somehow Saul, so twisted, believes that the Lord has done this for him. For he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. That's what Keilah was, a fortress city. And Saul's celebrating. Hey, look, now at least he's not running around in the wilderness or in some forest. Now he's in a walled city. It's going to be much easier to get him now. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Give me my cereal. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now this is the city that David had just saved. But Saul doesn't care about the city, even though this is an Israelite city. He's willing to besiege the city that David just saved from the enemies of God, the Philistines, because his hatred for David, he doesn't care about collateral damage. And man, when your hatred gets the best of you, you don't care who you hurt. And David knew that you know anybody who was around him potentially could be hurt because of Saul's hatred. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. He knew this. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Now this is... Uh, it does seem that David has better intelligence than Saul, by the way. And 
He says, can you bring the, the garment here? And it may be holding the Urim and the Thummim. And I just want to say something to you about this prefigurement of Christ. This, this period of time is all part of David's painful path to the throne. You know, when you're going somewhere as a believer, it's not always, to prime you for a role is not always pain-free. I mean, I would like it to be. I can tell you some of the greatest lessons that I've learned up to this point in ministry have been through pain. That's just part of life. And look, this, this guy, this David, is the anointed one. He's, he's God's man, the man after God's own heart, and yet God does not lift pain from him. In fact, he seems to be right in the middle of what God is allowing. God's protecting him providentially, but he's not protecting him from pain, nor is he even protecting him from loss. David is living with the fact that he believes in some way he is responsible for the death of 85 priests. Now he's thinking, I'm at this fortress city, he's heard that the king, the crazed king is after him, and he's got to be thinking, you know what, if I stay here, these people are all in jeopardy. I think we have to think the best of David. I think that's how he thinks. And he's got to be thinking, you know what, 85 priests just died, I just helped deliver the city, but now what? So David cried, O Lord, verse 10, God of Israel, thy servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. And David's like, I don't want any more. I can't take any more, Lord. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Now picture him seeking the providential insight of God. Will Saul come down just as thy servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. So David's heart is full of inquiry. Lord, I need to know, tell me, is he going to come down and destroy? It's all right, don't worry about it. But if anybody else who has a phone, go ahead and turn it off now. So he inquires. Isn't that cool that your phone went off right as David was inquiring? I mean, he wasn't put on hold. That's all right. It's okay, Michelle. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Nobody ever calls me now. <laughs> and the Lord said, he's going to come down. If you want to know, He's coming. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. You mean the city that I just delivered with my men? The one I just risked my life and limb to save? Yep. Because you know what? The people of Keilah just heard what Saul did to the priests of Nob. And if he'll kill priests, believe me, these people may be noble. And there's no commentary about the right or wrongness of what they would do. But the Lord just gives the facts. If you stay there, they're going to give you up. Okay. Now that I know. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And the cool thing about David is I think he was looking out not only for his own self-interest, but for the interest of the city. And they went wherever they could go. 
Some of you need to mark that. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but you need to mark that. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. Saul maybe threw down a cereal bowl and said, Thwart it again! Rats! Double rats! Sad. You know, David could have taken up in the stronghold. That city was a fortified city. He could have decided, I'm going to, this is going to end today. If he comes, I'm either going to kill him or he's going to kill me, but this is going to end today. Ever been there before? Lord, I hear everything you say about how a Christian is supposed to respond, but. <laughs> but we do know that when David had chances to kill him, he would not kill God's anointed. What an incredible man this is. He just decides, I'm going to move on, and I'm going to go wherever I have to go. And David stayed in the wilderness, 14, in the strongholds, and remained in the city, in, excuse me, in the hill country, in the wilderness of Ziph. Just a, a thought on the uh, people of Keilah. It, it's interesting to me that uh, though Jesus did so many incredible things for people, Remember, David prefigures Jesus Christ, yet people were quick to turn on Jesus too. Uh, you know, there are people standing there that when Pilate gave them the opportunity, they asked for Barabbas. We know Peter, who said, I will die for you in the face and heat of the pressure and even confusion because he had tried to fight and, and he had knocked off somebody's ear, right? Then he denied that he even knew him three times, right? And then, of course, Judas just outright betrayed him. The anointed one. So David moves into these strongholds, and we'll get into that in a moment. And he remained in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him, notice in your Bible, 14, every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. You see, there is, see the word hand there? That speaks of power. Who's going to prevail but God's unseen hand was working. And that's where we've got to find our hope when circumstances look hopeless. We have to know that God's hand is still there. And so David is now in this barren wilderness. Now David became aware that Saul, 15, had come out to seek his life. While David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, David was in a barren place, and he was at probably a new low in his life. The text seems to imply that David has come to a low point. He's aware that Saul has come to seek his life. He's in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there. And you just go, you know what? I don't know if my life can get any harder. I don't know if I can get any lower. Every day I get a new report that this crazed king is trying to kill me. I know that God's given me a promise. And, you know, de depressing surroundings, depressing circumstances. Imagine if you were the target of a, ma of a nationwide manhunt and the leader of that nation was trying to kill you. And every day you were just trying to find a place to hide. What kind of existence is this? Is this ever going to end? And I want you to notice something beautiful that happens in your Bible. The Bible says, And Jonathan... Saul's son arose and he went to David at Horesh. Isn't it interesting 
Saul can't seem to find David, but Jonathan can find him. <laughs> I mean, you would think that Saul had more resources than Jonathan did, right? But Saul's son arose. David, uh, he went to David at Horesh. And here's the beautiful thing. And he encouraged him in God. If you have the NIV, it says, he went to David at Horesh and he helped him find strength in God. At the end of 1 Samuel 23, we find this reference to the strongholds of En Gedi. And David ended up in this place called En Gedi. And En Gedi is really a oasis in the wilderness. I had the privilege in 2006 to preach at En Gedi. And it's a marvelous place. It's, a, it's an unexpected uh, gift Right in the middle of the Judean desert, you're down by the caves where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And from a distance, as you're looking at those caves, you can look off and see a big green patch. And, you know, you're in the middle of Judean desert wilderness. And then all of a sudden you see this unexpected place of green and water. And uh, there's, a, there's, there's this beautiful... Um, waterfall, a couple of waterfalls actually that come down at En Gedi. And it's this unexpected place of finding water in a place that's dry and uh, seems lifeless. And there's beautiful life there at En Gedi and you can see the life there. There's birds and ebox and I think that's the proper name. <laughs> and uh, they're there and it's all about the water. As the water uh, brings life so it becomes a picture of of God God is like water you know Jesus compared himself and the ministry actually of the Holy Spirit to living waters that would flow the problem with Israel in the past is that they often uh, traded the living waters of God for dead cisterns they forgot God. They turned away from the living water and they turned to things which cannot satisfy. And David, you know, in his time of running from Saul and dealing with all of the struggles that he had during this season of life, found a place called En Gedi. It's water in the desert. It's a place that, you know, you'd like to set up an easy chair and stay there forever, but you know, you got to go back to that desert world and tell other people where to find water, where to find living water. You know, Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But he offered a water that would satisfy, a, a water that was deeper, a water for the soul. And Jesus used the images of bread and water to get across the fact that God satisfies not just on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.